Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. This is without question a number one, my favorite Tina Turner song ever. Um, Tina Turner, who passed away yesterday, the first concert I ever attended, I went and saw Lionel Richie. I was a huge Lionel Richie fan. I was 10. And my two older sisters and I, along with my sister's boyfriend, Rick Deitch, who was a really fun guy, went to go see Lionel Richie at Market Square Arena, and Tina Turner opened for Lionel Richie. And it was kind of Tina Turner's like reinvention tour, if you will, trying to kind of come off of the Ike and Tina years. And I'll never forget, I mean, I was 10, I did not know of Tina Turner. And she had this like electricity about her she stole the show i mean she literally i mean she was obviously by then a big name but she absolutely stole the show in terms of her energy and everything else and i think most people like tina turner great performer yeah you know jake it's interesting when her pass was announced yesterday you all of a sudden at least i obviously my, my real only memory of tina turner as a performer is probably the super bowl in 2000 um but all of a sudden, you see the outcry of like support from people on social media or just people sharing like stories like yours. And I'm like, whoa. I mean, I was blown away by the level. I mean, certainly I know Tina Turner and the name and knew that, you know, she obviously had a, a large impact. But just to see the variety of people share different types of stories. And I assume Brian Adams will do something along those. I mean, not to like, yeah. you know, predict. Yeah, he the, did a song with her. I mean, right. Not yeah. to predict the Brian Adams set list for tomorrow, but I would guess he would do something. Um, you know, for her tomorrow, um, was was pretty pretty impressive to see, and obviously uh, for me as you know, thirty three years old, just an indicator of how great of a performer and, and how big of an impact she had on a variety. The of, uh, the of song better be good to me. I always I, I was surprised when I learned. I mean, I probably should have known this. I always assumed that song was written about and kind of her ode to Ike Turner. And the terrible treatment she got from Ike Turner, probably I, I think abuse is fair to say. And then I later found out that song actually was a cover, but she was, she was, she was a great entertainer, great entertainer. Um, there was a clip that was kind of going around um, this week that I wanted to get to. We haven't talked a whole lot of Pacers here in the off season. Um, obviously, the draft coming up in less than a month. You don't really have a lot of in-house free agents. You need to heavily debate. But I am curious just from a Benedict Matherin standpoint, you know, how the league kind of viewed his rookie season. And Paul George had this clip earlier in the week. And because it's Paul George, I'm sure, Jake, that contributed to some of the viral nature that it got around kind of the Pacers' social media community. But I do think the clip itself is pretty relevant into how 
some of the higher level players in this league viewed what Benedict Matherin did as a rookie. Here was Paul George on his podcast earlier this week on Benedict Matherin. My my young player, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I like Benedict Matherin. Benedict Matherin, tell us who that is. Kid at Indiana. It's, okay. a, it's an Indiana shout out. I like Benedict. Position? He's a shooting guard. Shooting guard. Tough. Y'all, y'all compete against yeah, each other? Yeah, we had some. We had some phase. Yeah, because yeah, he, he, he he tough. Like he a dog. He got that dog in him. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember watching a clip and they. I think they getting blown out, but he was playing hard as. F- and the other team is like, bro, like y'all losing, like chill. So he like, bro, it's still time on the clock. Like I'm gonna play this out, like, <laughs> and, and and that stuck with me watching that clip. Um, but even competing against him, watching him play, like, um, I think you know, for an organization like Indiana, that's what they need, like players like him, those dogs. He to me, he's got like a shade of D Wade in him, like that mid range game, tough, athletic, strong body. Savvy, you know, attacking the basket. Like he's he's got a little shade of D Wade to him. I like that. I like that. So shout out Benedict. Shout out the Indiana Pacers. Still love there. That's another subject though. We'll get on to. <laughs> couple of things. Number one, build your own joke around Paul George saying that the Pacers need a player with mental toughness. Number two, open disclaimer. I always liked Paul George. I, I thought he was a great player. I thought he was a fun player to watch. I thought he did great things here. Uh, but he's changed, like his voice sounds different. His, just the way he talks sounds different. And not in a good or bad way, he just sounds like a different guy than when he was here. But um, he also, when he was here, was a guy that was still Paul George, like no one really knew who he was. And we saw him develop before our very eyes. That is the one thing with Benedict Matherin that I love what Paul George had to say about him there. I hope that Benedict Matherin does not have the personality metamorphosis that Paul George did during his time. Yeah, I, I don't want to turn into like a Paul George, let's rehash the Paul George Well, that's not what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is, debate. yeah, I, I get that. But what I'm saying is Paul George does, if there is a, it is, I, I think, to tell totality of the situation or to analyze it in totality, Kevin, you look at it and you say, Benedict Matherin has the offerings that show that he is a promising young player that has a very bright future here. However... Like anything in life, you also look into it or go into it with a cautious optimism based on precedent. And it is coincidental that precedent would be, to an extent, Paul George. Yeah, I think the on-court edge that Benedict Matherin brings is something that is different. I would agree with that. And, you know, I guess it would have been this time last year when I was, you know, all aboard the Pacers drafting Benedict Matherin. I mean, sure, his scoring ability in Arizona and his... You know, athleticism and all of that, those were all things that stood out. But then the more you kind of watched him as a player or certainly found more out about him, you know, how he was wired off the floor, that to me is what the separator was of, again, it's very high praise. But when a guy like Paul George, you know, one of the best players, you know, an all-star caliber player in this league is pointing out the kind of edge and the dog and the... You know, he doesn't care one iota who you are, what your resume is. He's going full throttle 82 games out of the year, 48 minutes a night. I think this franchise needed that just more than Benedict Matherin's talent. Sure, his talent is great, but I think that Pacers team desperately needed 
a guy that's going to push some buttons with how he plays and the no-nonsense nature to him, there is some Jimmy Butler, I would say, to his game. Dwayne Wade as a player, I, I understand where Paul's going with that comparison, but I just think there is a bit of a... Guys look at him, and opponents fear him a bit, and teammates, I think, feed off of that. And I think it's so critical for this franchise to have that right now as they start the rebuild. And I think it's a really nice compliment to what you have in Halliburton in that they're two different personalities. They play off each other, I think, pretty well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I found that uh, pretty interesting. Did you see Brandon Miller's comments when Brandon Miller, the Alabama star, was asked what player in the NBA he most thinks of some, himself as? And he said, I would say Paul George. Then he paused and said, but I mean Indiana Pacers Paul George, not the Paul George of today. It's funny that when I first watched Brandon Miller, um, remember that show we had after he played against Tennessee, came in the next morning, I was like, that dude is yes, Paul I George. That. I mean, yeah. I was like, he is exactly what the Pacers need. I mean, frankly, the Pacers could use a Paul George type skill. No doubt. You know, to, to complement what they have right now. Wasn't there some, aren't there some rumors right now that Indiana, I mean, understandably has like serious interest in trying to trade up for Brandon Miller? Yes. Did I see that yesterday? I believe that they love Brandon Miller, yes. Now, if you're, is it Charlotte at two? Mm-hmm. And who's at three? Orlando. Uh, it's Portland at three, right? Okay, that, yeah, that might be right. I mean, if you're Charlotte, you talk about needing an injection into your franchise. I mean, wouldn't Brandon Miller be Brandon Miller and Lamelo Ball moving forward? That seems to be a nice compliment to yeah. each other. I would think Brandon Miller over Scoot Henderson. Yeah, based on the on the players they already have, you would think, right? Yeah. I don't know. The Miller certainly tapered off towards in, you know in March. I mean, his numbers right, went down. Right, and that's obviously a huge storyline. Well, one last thing on Matherin. In a way, with how he attacks the basket, his ability to live at the foul line, I think that will continue to be you know arguably his biggest strength. You don't need him to be perfect from three. You know, he, he with with Paul, for example, and I guess I am turning this into a comparison with Paul. You know, Paul. I don't think he's ever been a great, great driver. I mean, he's certainly over the years become more of a foul shot guy, but I don't think like his ability to finish at the rim is maybe a a, a peak you know attribute of his. I think it's a shooting ability that's his greatest strength. Obviously, at six nine and two thirty, he just naturally finishes well. Um, but I think with Matherin, as long as you can get him to like be a, a competent three point shooter, which I. He was fine as a rookie. His numbers at Arizona would indicate he could take some steps there. I think there is a little bit of Anthony Richardson in that. With Richardson, we talked about this. He doesn't need to be Drew Brees. He doesn't need to be, you know, Philip Rivers from a completion percentage standpoint. If you get him to a adequate level, the big playability will be enough to offset the consistency as a passer. With Matherin, as long as you get him to an adequate three-point level to where teams at least have to go out there and guard him a bit, now all of a sudden he can continue to be the great driver that he showed as a rookie. My hope for this radio program, I mean, our goal, as we know, Mark, you're not on microphone, but the goal in this program is? Educate and entertain. Thank you. My goal, uh, along with being educational and entertaining... I thought it was going to voice crack there. ...is... Uh, I would like for people to, just one, just one person in this audience that listens to us each morning to think of this show as you think of Benedict Matherin. 
<laughs> like I can see your eye twinkle. As a matter of fact, we just had the fire drills in here, and the, the strobe lights were going off, and that mirrored the twinkle in your eyes. I thought my eyes were watering from my allergies. Are, you, are the allergies back? I feel like they kind of are. I, I took a Claritin last night because I started to get a sore throat, and I thought not the time that I need that. And no. then it feels better today. So maybe you do, it is. yeah, you do. You do sound better. Maybe it's an allergies thing. Um, hey, what's good, Kevin? Thank you for your support. Harry, you're a big fan of the Pacers. Um, I'm here, you know, supporting <laughs> you. You support me. And I'm really excited. You know, I'm really excited for the season and uh, looking forward to do some damage and get some wins. Let's go. That's your boy. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. That's your boy. Um, coming up. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hunter Daily at 9.30, Chris Tenere at 9 o'clock. We'll give away some 8,500 numbers as well. You'll listen to Kevin Aquari on another postcard-looking day here in Indianapolis. Yeah, I hate to start off the interview with such an what in my mind I'm thinking is an idiotic question, but here goes nothing. Connor, is there any way, shape, or form like you can sense or hear or see the crowd react the way they do when you take the lead, or are you going to tell me, hey man, I'm going north of 200 miles per hour with 32 cars around me? Uh, No. We got a lot more going on uh, (laughs) than... than being able to sense that. But I think, I mean, I, I, I actually feel like I'm almost doing the same thing internally in my body, uh, celebrating the fact that, you know, we, we get to lead and we just, you know, that, that's kind of the goal of what we do. We want to be leading. So, um, it's, it, 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 I, I, you think about it more later than, uh, the instantaneous moment. What percent of the time, Connor, in a 200-lap race, do you know exactly what position you're in? I mean, I realize when you're leading, it's probably pretty easy to know your P1. But, like, you know, when you're running seventh, do you know the whole time I'm in seventh place, there's sixth place? Behind, you know, I mean, how aware are you? Honestly, it, it, like, let's say the, the first thing goes green and, and everyone pits. After that, you have no idea where you are, really. Essentially, unless, unless, unless you come out, you know, and you're close to the front, um, but sometimes when the, the, the field gets spread out in the, in the pit stop strategy, um, you know, it, it's kind of, uh, until it goes yellow, uh, you don't really know. And then even when it goes yellow, you know, some people might've fitted, some people might not have. So you, you, you just kind of rely on your crew guys then to be like, Hey, all right, well, uh, you might be at the back of the train, but actually everyone's going to have to pit and you're actually second. Cause that's how it worked out in 2021 when we rotated forward is, uh, you know, we had got in on a, you know, a good, a good pit strategy everyone pits and suddenly it's like all right we're third this is great so uh it's it's there's a lot going on and uh you know you can only keep track of so much so when you are going into a turn and for those that don't know connor daly is our guest on the payless Liquors hotline for those that don't know connor you have spotters that are in your ear i'm assuming most of the time you can hear them and so when the spotter is alerting you to the fact that you're coming up on a car or that a car is inside or outside of you, do they tell you every single time what driver it is or are there only some drivers that you need to know who it is and then other than that, it's just another car? Uh, well, honestly, they're usually pretty good about telling me either the number of the car or who it is. Um 
and I've got two really, really good spotters, uh, Paul and Packy, and uh, and they're like really, really experienced. So they they do a great job keeping me, um, you know, aware of what's going on. Uh, but usually, um, my spotter in turn one, Packy, he'll usually either tell me who's dumb and who's not, which is usually important, or who's been doing dumb stuff and who hasn't. So that's um, that's that's usually a good. So which uh, which driver is it imperative that you're like listen? this is the one that you absolutely need to tell me if that's the one that I'm around, I need to know it. <laughs> well, it depends on the day. Honestly, sometimes, um, people decide to make uh, dumber decisions than, uh, than, than other days. But, uh, usually right now during practice, it, it seems like there's been a couple folks that have, that have made questionable decisions. I won't name any yet. Obviously we want to try to go into race day with, uh, you know, as, as much good karma as possible and, and all kinds of happiness. But uh, there are some people that you definitely don't want to be around. <laughs> I feel like if I get in trouble on Carb Day, I want Paul and Packy to be, you know, are they a lawyer tandem there? I kind of <laughs> I kind of like that that uh, that duo there. After a couple too many little sure, things, that's sure. who you call, yeah, right? Uh-huh, exactly. Uh, Connor Daly, inside of row six coming up on Sunday. Obviously, a lot of hometown fanfare for him. Connor, you uh, a fan of the inside of a row, or would you prefer middle or outside? Uh, you know what's funny is I, I love the outside. The outside's the last uh, the the place that I've made the most progress the last couple of years. But uh, it just depends on the on the on how the start goes. Honestly, there's a couple you know rookies. Well, Benjamin Peterson starting you know and I think 11th or so, and uh, it's his first time. So that's usually an interesting one to try to navigate around. I think he even saw even Scott McLaughlin his first Indy 500. He was a Penske, very very talented guy. But you just don't know what you feel at the start of that race until you do it so that's usually a, a bit of a roadblock into term one because it's it's quite a crazy feeling of of air suction essentially into term one um and and, and so that'll be kind of a, an interesting one to navigate but the inside's fine i mean i've got joseph newgarden next to me who i've you know i've known literally my entire life and ryan Array, who is not a dumb person at all so you know we've got a pretty strong solid full all-american row right there and it should be good you know, you obviously are right behind your teammate and your owner and Ed Carpenter. I think he's inside five. So when you talk about, and you're right, Connor, I, listen, I don't pretend to know what you guys do for a living, but I see it a lot. And I would I would feel pretty confident if I've got Newgarden and Hunter Ray because they're experienced guys, but I think they're also pretty mature guys and pretty smart guys. Will you talk to those two to say, hey, look, I'm going to go where Ed goes. You guys want to kind of figure and sort things out, or are they completely on their own? I mean, there's no sense in talking it over, really. I mean, I, I trust those guys. I, I like racing with Joseph, you know, almost more than anyone else out there. Um, I, I know that he knows uh, that it's a long race. But also, you like, Joseph, this is one race that I think he, he wants to do more, you know, more at than any other event. You know, the, the guys want everything else, it seems like. Um, so I'm sure he's going to be aggressive. Ryan obviously hasn't raced in a while, so... Uh, you know, he might be a little, uh, you know, a little cautious at the start, but there, there, you could literally think for the next 76 hours, what could happen and each different scenario and each driver thinking, thinking of them personally and what might affect their, their outcome on the start. So, uh, you, sometimes you got to stop yourself from, uh, you know, from overthinking. Connor, who is the, like, if all 33 of you took an engineering test, who would be the smartest? 
You know who's really, really smart on the engineering side and who really studies is Takuma Sato. Takuma Sato, when I was teammates with him in 2013, I would say his his level of understanding and, and the way he gets into the data was, was really impressive. But uh, when it comes to also, like, pure brain power and, like, who might be the smartest person, I mean – I, I, I think, you know, he's not in the field, but J.R. Hildebrand, oh, very yeah. smart human yeah. being. Um, but other than that, I don't know. There's a lot of people who I don't think if you – I think if, if you told them to start reading a book, they'd read it upside down. So <laughs> I, don't know what, I don't know what's happening. So based on that answer, I guess, how much does that matter? Like how much do you think a, a big knowledge base about the engineering, the aerodynamics, et cetera, uh, can influence or can help you? Well, I mean, I joke a little bit, but honestly, it is the most important thing. I mean, we do so much technically with these cars. Um, you know, we we have to understand what each thing mechanically will do every time we adjust it, uh, aerodynamically, what it's going to do, where it's going to do it. Um, you know, we th- this this race more than any other is is at such a high level technically. Um, and you just have to be aware of it. You have to be on top of every change, every adjustment, and everything that uh, that might make your day either slightly better or slightly worse. Um, and and we we do have a pretty high level of, of understanding technically, and um, it's just part of the game, part of what we have to do. Have you ever, Connor, and the final, and for those that are not diehard race fans, when we say the word stent, the stent is the period of laps between pit stops so there are what six stints to a race i guess because you're making essentially seven pit stops in an ideal world right seven or eight i guess would it be hopefully six but who knows okay six (laughs) so so in the stints have you ever had a car at the end of the race that feels in any way shape or form like it did in the first stint of the race or are you constantly changing everything yeah, I mean, honestly, things change quite a lot because think of how much rubber goes down during that uh, during that period of time. I mean, 500 miles, uh, 33 cars, or or however many people are left. Um, you know that that's that's a lot of a grip, a lot of different grip changes, uh, and offline becomes a lot more difficult as well. Obviously, you know the marbles offline become worse and worse unless there's a yellow and they can sweep them pretty aggressively. So. The, the, the track changes a lot. You know, you'll usually start with a bit more downforce because the track will be a bit greener and then kind of trim out as you go if your car is comfortable enough to do that. And I know that's what we did last year as we rotated towards the front, towards the lead. Because when you're in the lead, you, you really got to be uh, a bit more trim or else it's really, really easy for other people to pass you. So that's kind of how it, how it goes. When I was a kid, Connor, Connor Daly's our guest on the Payless Ziggers Hotline. When I was a kid and I would go to the race, my absolute favorite thing was on the, and I always forget if it's the parade lap is before the pace lap, I think is how that goes. But in the opening laps, when you guys are behind the pace car and you're kind of warming up the tires and going side by side and everybody's kind of zigzagging. And I used to love when it looked like the drivers were waving to the fans. Now, I now realize that perhaps what they're doing is warming up their wrist or getting circulation into their hands or whatever it might be. But having said all that, can, can you do that for me and for the people in turn three? When you're coming by three on the parade lap, and I know now you have the windscreen, which makes it harder, but can you do like a little salute to the fans? Is there ever any intention of that? Because you got so much going on getting your car set up, but, but is that too much to ask? No, I mean, we try. I, there's definitely no wrist 
uh, stretching movement or whatever you described there. I don't think, I think most people, if they are trying to wave, they're definitely waving. I've seen, uh, I've, I've tried to do it before. We got this darn windscreen that you can't, you have to be full extension on your arm to barely get your hand out of the thing. So, uh, it, it's tough. We got these new headrests too, where we can barely move our arms either. So we're trying, I promise, but, uh, we're pretty, we're pretty cramped into that car. Uh, but I, I, I love seeing the fans on the pace lap. It's, it's, it's one of the most, memorable experiences of all time being a part of this event is are those pace laps there's something about it that is just like pure chaos but it, it's absolutely beautiful at the same time all the different uh it's it's so vibrant the the colors of everyone's different clothes and and uh and what it looks like and the fire from the snake pit uh it's 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 just it's a magical experience honestly now actually it was i i can tell you 96 Late in the race, Buddy Lazier, every time there was a caution, he kept raising his hand out. And my buddy started calling him Party Lazier because he's like, man, he's partying with the fans. Look at him, he's waving. Then we later found out, he's like, no, actually, I had a broken back and I was trying to feel my hand again. It's like, well, okay. We'll we'll stick with the party line, though. Now, speaking of party line, um, you have been known to go to the snake pit before the race and check out the scenery. And my understanding is somebody once told me that A.J. Foyt was not a fan of that move. Your thoughts? Uh... I mean, it didn't really matter that year anyway. I mean, I, I, I don't. I, I think anyone that wants to try to like criticize that um, is is kind of just hunting for things. I mean, I've done it the last two years, and I've been better than most people at this race. So uh, I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, and we've led the last two years, so you can't really say it's affecting performance if we get to the lead every year. So I'm going to keep doing what's successful. And I'm going to enjoy the event because there's nothing else going on. I can sit and look at the same computer I've looked at for three weeks long, but it's not going to tell me anything until we get out in the race. So, so I love it, man. I, I love it. I've done all my studies. I've done what I need to do. I feel prepared for this race. We have carb day, which is going to be awesome. And I want to meet Shaq. So, I was uh, say, selfie out. with Shaq <laughs> more than anything. Right? I, I'm surprised you haven't met Shaq, actually. I, I am also surprised, but uh, <laughs> I'm also very not famous compared to Shaq. So I, I will uh, I will do my best. I, I, I want to see what he does. I want to see how he. Apparently, he's a great guy. So I want to I want to I want to check it out. Connor, last one. I'll relay this from Charlie, a, a listener of ours, and I assume these numbers are correct. Uh, can you ask Connor his thoughts and being the 62nd driver to race the Daytona 500 and Indy 500, and the 29th to do it in the same year? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I thought it was like twenty first or twenty second in the same year, but honestly, I'm I'm not a I'm not a stack guy, so so who knows? But uh, it's honestly it's it, it's very cool when you look at the list of drivers who have done it in the same year. Um, it's a pretty it's a pretty special group of people. So uh, just an honor to be a part of that, um, and you know to have got to experience the Daytona five hundred. That was awesome, but it's still. It's still it's not nothing compared to the Indy 500, but the Indy 500 really is just such a such a different level. So much more difficult in it from from certain areas. The the race itself just a completely different animal, but it's just massive. The 500 is 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 the alpha, and it's just and I love it. Connor, last one. Uh, what I've always admired about you is it, you're obviously from here, but it just seems like you have embraced and, and have such an incredible reverence for what the 500 means to so many different people. Uh, on Sunday, w- what is typically the most emotional moment for you? I mean, honestly, the 
getting in the like right before we get in the car, the national anthem. Uh, I I definitely cry every single time. Uh, it's it's an it's an incredible experience to to be there. Uh, you know the the silence of you know honoring honoring our uh, you know our fallen troops um, and and service members. You know that 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 really gets you. And then you know we're we're in the car by the time back home again in Indiana is playing, but. Um, you know, when I'm, when I'm in the car, you're definitely, uh, feeling it all through your entire uh, soul. So that, that whole experience, I wish I could bottle up and, and, and keep it forever. Uh, the feelings, the emotions, everything, because there's just nothing like it in the whole world. Speaking of bottle up, Connor, have you ever had little Kings? No. What is that? Man. Thank you. Connor, I've now moved you to number one on my rooting interest list. What about PBR? You ever had a PBR, Connor? Well, of course. I'm an American human. So, PBR yeah. and Little Kings, two totally different spectrums. No. With Very Little simple. Kings, like, is that like a candy? Is it like Peeps? <laughs> <laughs> this is getting even better. <laughs> Little Kings is a beer, but it's a uh, malt liquor. It's, a it's malt not liquor, even sold here, Connor. It's a malt liquor cream ale that comes in 8-ounce bottles as opposed to 12-ounce bottles because it has a higher... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Potency, let's say. Um, and they're called Little Kings, so you can, you know, they, you can go through a, a number. They're like, they're the White Castle of beers. How's that? That's the easiest way to say it. Oh, well, that's wow. a compliment. I'm, well, I'm a Michelob Ultra guy only, so uh, this month of May, that's that's what we got rocking this 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 year. Yeah, that makes sense. You have an event tonight, uh, Brownsburg. Is that right? Yes, we'll be in Brownsburg. Uh, Going to be a great event, signing stuff and hanging out with folks up at the. I believe it's the largest Kroger in the state. Is that what someone told me, or something like that? I don't know. They should do that on the Welcome to Brownsburg sign, home of the largest Kroger in the state of Indiana. That's pretty awesome. Uh, Connor, it's a moment that we've obviously heard here as of late. When you get to the lead, it is quite the cheer, and it's an awesome experience for us as fans. Uh, For your sake, I hope it's pretty darn late in the race when we get that moment coming up on Sunday. Appreciate the time this morning. Have a great race, man. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. It's Connor Daly on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Clearly has never even heard of Little Kings. I have... I mean, I, I I don't know what to say. The age of Connor Daly? Well, that's probably an. That's it's got to be right around my. Probably age, right? a factor there, right? Connor Daly is thirty-one. It's a little younger. Yeah, no shock. <laughs> no shock whatsoever. I bet what Graham Rahal's heard a little. Kids. What did he say? Is it a candy bar? He compared <laughs> like, it to a, like to a to a peep. I I just realized it, it. There's no better way to say it than it is the White Castle of beers. Would the you? Little Kings live in Little White Castles. Like, when I hear that, I just say, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, that's exactly I've right. I've seen Harold and Kumar. Like, we got to go get some Little Kings. <laughs> yeah. I'm the just biggest you. Kroger in the entire state. Gosh, God bless Brownsburg. Kroger right. big, Kings little. We'll do it one final time here at Kevin Aquarius. Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Kevin, I say this every year, and I have said it to you before, but I will repeat it. In my opinion, 
of the four of us in the turns on Sunday for the call of the Indy 500, the one that has probably the most thankless but most important role that executes their role the best is our next guest, Kristen Airy, because he is in turn number four. And what he does, and this is a little peek behind the curtain, and I don't know if Chris even sees his role this way, but this is how I I see it. When we do what's called the roundies, when we're when we're just tossing it around, following laps, yep. right in the in the turns, just invariably and inevitably, if one of us goes too long, one of us goes too short, one of us changes the the theme, whatever it may be, you know, Mark James will throw it and say like, you know, good battle for seventh on the track right now between Connor Daly and Ryan Hunter Ray, you know, Nick Yeoman pick him up. If he does that, and occasionally one of us kind of loses, like, wait a minute, I'm not seeing where that battle is. I'm a little bit lost, and so we'll kind of subtly change the topic. Chris Denary, I think, does an unbelievable job of knowing when that needs to be reset and kind of shuffle us back to the point. Or if we go too long or too short, he's the guy that that it's his job to get the meter and the timing back by either being really brisk in his report or really long back to mark to, to reset the table. And he has the perfect demeanor for it. And so, that's, to me, what makes the four of it work is his role. So when you say he reels you guys in like I tried to reel you in. Correct. Okay. So I do it for 15 hours a week. Chris does it for three hours a year. The difference being with that job, I try to be professional. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's a ringing endorsement for this program here. Chris Denary, intern four. He joins us right now. Uh, Chris, I, I do think Jake described that pretty well. Year number what for you in turn four? Uh, 22. Uh, I've been a part of the radio network for 24 years. I, I missed one year uh, in 2014 when the Pacers were in the Eastern Conference Finals. We were doing live on-site uh, you know, post-game shows, pre-game shows, post-game shows. So I was in Miami. Uh, that was in 2014, and Kevin Lee filled in for me. Uh, but I, my first year in turn four was 2001, and I was a part of the network for a couple of years in 99 and 2000 down in the uh, pit. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's it's a real challenge for me from the standpoint that unlike Jake and, and Nick and Michael and, and uh, you know, the whole crew, Mark, you know, they do this. Uh, you know, every every other week or so in the summer, and for me, I joined the the network uh, during you know the 500, and and then later uh, during Brickyard weekend. So uh, for me, it's just you know making sure I'm prepared, knowing the the colors of the cars, the numbers of the cars, the drivers, and and as Jake said, I mean you have to react uh, and sometimes you have very little time to react and sometimes you have a lot more time to react and so it's you know it's a skill set that's you you just go into it uh, being prepared and 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 hope everything goes well can a teenager win in indy is obviously a call that is tremendous on, on many levels from you with uh with marco in 2006 uh certainly hildebrand in in 2011 stands out as well as him crashing um into the wall there right in front of you in your 22 years what other moments stand out to you well, I think any time, um, you know, I heard an interview with Connor Daly the other day uh, on, on your station, and uh, you know, when he's led the 500, I mean, the, the place goes crazy. Ed Carpenter, uh, Tony Kanan, such a fan favorite and a winner at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I mean, I think of 
of certain individuals when they get the lead. Um, you know, Danica Patrick many, many years ago. I mean, it's, you know, some of those moments. But I would have to say that, that during the month, um, I thought Peacock and NBC did a really good job during their, their practice coverage as they were showing uh, those old races, and many of those had our calls. And so I vividly remember uh, the Andretti, the Marco and Hornish battle, and then, of course, J.R. Hildebrand. So, you know, I'd have to say those are the two that you mentioned that are memorable for me. Uh, But, you know, Elio, you know, winning his fourth, um, all those kinds of moments, um, you know, have been very special uh, in turn four. You know, Chris, it's it's interesting. For me, I have the advantage – as they're coming towards me of being able to see all the way up the backstretch before they come in kind of into my view. Sometimes it's kind of hard to know which car's which until they're like directly below you because the the light, the sun can hit off the cars where they all kind of look the same. But I'm curious from your standpoint, can you tell in the course of the race when a car is making serious headway on the car in front of it. Like, for example, I think with that Hornish call when he passed Marco Andretti, if I'm not mistaken, you were the first one on that final lap to say, like, whoa, wait a minute here, like, Hornish is really charging here. So what area of the turn is it where it is exhibited if one car is substantially faster than another? Yeah, good, good, good question, Jake. I mean, one of the things uh, um, I'm sitting on the outside of the track, and really, really at the start of the front straightaway, and so uh, they're really through the turn by the time they get to me. But um, you usually you can see things happening in the short shoot. I mean, that's where as they're leaving you in turn three, and they get to the wing and the wheels, um, and you you can notice that's you know I've, I've listened to a number of drivers talk over the years and they feel like two and four are the places that they can make passes and so I usually try to watch that that short shoot area and just see what drivers are doing on particular laps uh, if we're not calling roundy round right I mean sometimes um, you know the pits have it Mark has it Davey they're talking and so. We really can't take time off there. That that's when I'm trying to look at cars and maybe look at at you know drivers that are are, are making moves in those areas. So I, I try to look at that short shoot area and and then what kind of path they're taking through turn four, maybe on laps prior to see you know what what kind of movement drivers are making. It's TV voice of the Indiana Pacers, but most importantly for Sunday, he is the turn four voice for us here. On the IndyCar Radio Network, you'll hear them tomorrow from 11 to 1. They will get things underway from a practice standpoint as well. Chris Denary going to be out there. Uh, Chris, in your prep, which I absolutely love your prep, one of my favorite joys each year is coming and chatting with you in turn four. Unfortunately, this year we are moving to one, so I won't be able to to do that. But uh, in your prep, what, what are uh, some of the paint schemes that have stood out to you of uh, ones that you like or ones that you're kind of thinking, oh boy, that might be tough? You know, the ones that, that are the, the reverse, it's like the Pagano and the Castro Nevis. It's sort of that hot pink, purpley, and white, and, and they basically are reverse schemes. Um, you always like, uh, you know, the, the, the orange cars that stand out. Uh, Joseph Newgarden's car to me stands out. The, the hardest cars are, you know, just sometimes those dark cars that are either 
dark navy or dark black because they they tend to look the same in the sunlight. Uh, so yeah, that's that's something for me. Tomorrow will be important, you know, because all of them will be out on the track. Uh, we call it sort of like we call the race. Um, I feel pretty good about you know looking at the car colors and all that kind of stuff. But uh, tomorrow will be an important day for us. You know what I always say, Chris. I'm warning you right now. Rossi's car is blue and orange, and if you're not careful, it looks a lot like Dixon with that car. Yeah. So yeah. I always say with those cars, I want both guys to do well, just not near one another. Yeah, yeah, there, there's no question <laughs> about that. I mean, Dixon's car has been the same the last few years, that orange and I don't want to say light blue, but it, it's not a navy, and, and you're right, Rossi's car, uh, you know, this aero machines uh, can be very similar. Um, but, you know, in the red, white, and blue cars, the cars that are white with, like, either red numbers or blue numbers, um, as as Jake said, that's where you hope that they're not in bunches like that. You, you hope that, hey, there's an orange car, there's a white car, there's a blue car. Um, that makes it a lot easier. And and I think we've, we've talked about it over the years. It's a real trust factor that we all have. I mean, what, we all rely on each other. And there are, you know, somebody asked me, well, how do you know, who's in the lead or, you know, the top five, I go, because I'm listening to my teammates do it. And I may make, you know, I've got a notepad up there and quickly I'm jotting the top five, but, but then I've got to know that if there's a pass in front of Jake, then all of a sudden that's changed. Um, so, uh, I, I've really enjoyed it. It's a challenge. Uh, it's, it's something I look forward to each and every year. Uh, you know, tomorrow's a great day for us because it, it is, it is like the race because you know, you'll have 30 plus, you know, you should have all the cars out on the track, 33. Um, but uh, it, it's something that you, you've got to be ready for because it's unlike anything else that I do. You know, when I'm doing a basketball game, it, everything's right out there in front of me and there's 10 players. There's five on one team, there's five on the other. Uh, this is a lot different. Chris, you, you and I are kind of in a similar boat in just in terms of, I think, fandom or, or maybe followers of IndyCar. I mean, Jake obviously is in it each and every week, each and every race. So he, he's a little bit different. So from your side of it, like what storylines intrigue you? I know you don't get into maybe a ton of storylines in turn four because, you know, you aren't necessarily having, you know, one or two minutes to, to discuss things at a time. But w- what intrigues you from a storyline standpoint, maybe outside of the, you know, Elio going for his fifth or, you know, Joseph Newgarden trying to get the monkey off his back? Yeah, I guess, you know, I, I look at, you know, Ed Carpenter racing and, and, you know, can one of those cars break through? Could Ed win? You know, Renus VK has been so good. It's been such a strong qualifier over the years. Um, you know, what what could lead them, you know, to a victory? You've got the big teams, Ganassi and Arrow and uh, Penske and, you know, Andretti Autosport. But, you know, a few years ago, I mean, Elio wins his fourth and he's with Meyer Shank Racing a long time. You know, Penske, he was a long time Penske driver. So um, I'm always fascinated by the day from the standpoint that um, there, there is so much being in the right place at the right time. You know, we've always said in sports, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And, and a lot of times I think that happens in this race. You can be very good but you've got to have a lot of luck. And, and so, you know, very interested to see how all of that shakes out. And, you know, is, 
you know, Foyt had, A.J. Foyt, they, they had such a good month, you know, from a, a qualifying standpoint. Can one of those drivers stay up front and, and maybe make some noise? So all of those things, I think, are going to be the things that, that I'm watching and that I've been intrigued by through the month. You know, Chris, one other thing, Chris Denary is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline, just to to point out because I and I do think that people find it interesting because people ask me about it a lot and I'm very flattered by that, that that people have an interest in it but one of the things I think in the turns that's important and it happens to all of us I probably put you in this position more so than anybody else um, and that is that inevitably and invariably there are times during the race where one of us will misidentify a car or or mistakenly say and i do this probably two to three times a race truth be told you know hey rossi just made a move and he's now in fourth and in reality it's dixon or whatever one of the things i think you do really well is correcting that error and resetting it without making it egregious of the person that did it because i think we all know that it invariably is going to happen you know what i mean and that kind of is that trust you're talking about yeah, I mean, it, it, 200 laps, and Jake, I would say of the 200 laps, what do you think we call? 120, 140? I don't know what that number is. Uh, but I've always said that if you're going to make a mistake, you know, make that mistake very early in the race, lap 110, 112, whatever. You know, you, you, I don't want to make a mistake late because, I mean, that's critical. The one thing that I'll try to do also, and Mark will do this as well, of course, is as you get later in the race, you know, I may even throw in, you know, whatever lap it is, um, just because I'm thinking about those people that are listening to the race. I think we all do uh, where we've been in our lives, in our careers, when we haven't been working the race. And so you're, you're jumping in your car and you're running an errand. You've been working around the house. So. Uh, yeah, all those things go into mind, and, and you're also trying to make sure you don't say the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, you're trying to do things a little bit differently. So, um, but but we've all we've all done that. We've all misidentified a car. We've all gotten uh, you know somebody you said was in third is in fourth. I mean, it's invariably going to happen. Uh, but but I think we all do a really good job of getting back into that mode and helping out uh, our teammate. Chris, how long do you think Boston's going to keep this one uh, going here? I think they win tonight um, and and take it back to Miami. And then I think that puts a lot of heat on the heat. Um, You know, it all comes down to, I think, Boston, you know, has to be better defensively. And when they're better defensively, um, you know, they're a much better team. Um, I'm amazed at what I think it tells you what Eric, how good a coach Eric Spolster is. I mean, they lose Tyler Hero. I know Victor Oladipo is not the Victor Oladipo of old, but he still is a rotational player that was, I think, important to them. Um, I, I've been amazed at what Miami's been able to accomplish, and, and so it would not surprise me that they win the series. Uh, but I do think Boston wins tonight, and then uh, we head back to Miami for Game Six. Chris, to that point, it is just beyond amazing to me what Miami's undrafted free agents continue to give them. Like, you know, undrafted free agents for the Pacers, and and I'd say this for any NBA team, 
I don't even remember any undrafted free agents for the Pacers contributing at a significant level. And I feel like, again, 27 NBA teams would say the same thing. And here we are in the final, Eastern Conference Finals, and in multiple games, the Miami Heat have had three of their top four leading scorers be undrafted guys, or two of their top three, or I think there was one game where it was all three. That, to me, to the Spolster point, is and identifying these guys as well, is just so amazing. Yeah, I mean, Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, uh, Gabe Vincent. I mean, you can go on and, and, Caleb on, and on. Caleb Martin. I mean, you know, he didn't play like this in Charlotte with his with his twin brother. Uh, yeah, it's 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 really good. I mean, I think those of us in the NBA, we have great respect for Miami. There's no question about that, and especially what Pat Riley has built and and what Spolster has done. I think a lot of us. Um, you know, you, you get sick a little bit of hearing about heat culture, heat culture, heat culture, but they are proving what heat culture is all about. And and Jimmy Butler, guys, is one of those guys that um, you just absolutely can't stand him when he's on the other team, but when he's on your team, you love him, and and he's been he's been sensational. So. Uh, you know, you have to give them a lot of credit for uh, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals, what, three times in the last four years, and uh, a now a chance to get to the NBA Finals. Uh, you know, Denver, Denver Denver is really good, and, and I think Denver, Boston, Denver, Miami, whoever, you know, wins the East, it'll be a tremendous NBA Finals. Chris, last question from me. Chris Denary is our guest, the television voice of the Indiana Pacers. You'll hear him in turn four on the IMS radio network coming up on Sunday for the Indy 500. He's on the Pela Sigurds hotline. Last question for me, over, under. I'm going to put it at three. Over, under, on number of times in your ear on the intercom on Sunday, you hear my voice go, my bad, Chris. <laughs> oh, that, that's, that's a good one. Over, uh, under, what is it? Um, Based off that laugh, I'm going to say over. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go over. I'm going to go four. <laughs> you know, because Jake, he get you know he gets concerned that uh, and he's he will apologize quickly. Um, you know, we we have a it's the wing of the wheel, sort of in the middle of um, uh, the short shoot is where he drops it. But but hey, on occasion he's got to keep it a little bit longer, and I have no problem with that. But he will get on the he will get on the the talk back and go, hey, my bad, CD, my bad. Uh, it just it just means I have a little less time to talk before I get it to Mark. That's fine. <laughs> uh, it is an absolutely incredible radio call each year. It's one of my favorite moments of just kind of plopping on that headset and getting locked in for the green flag. Uh, Chris, have a blast up there in turn four. It looks like the weather is going to be pretty darn good for you as you are very exposed as well as Jake uh, throughout the entire race. So. Uh, have a great time and uh, look forward to running into you tomorrow at Carb Day. All right, looking forward to it, guys. See you tomorrow. 11 to 1, practice tomorrow from Carb Day. IndyCar Radio Network will have some coverage as well. Going back to kind of the um, the heat undrafted convo there, Jake, for a second. I, if you told me right now, name the three best undrafted free agents in the history of the Indiana Pacers, I would have no idea where to begin. Boy, that's a great question. <clears throat> Huh. And maybe I'm missing just a clear and obvious one, but like you know, obviously when you get into a Colts front, you know you throw out a name of I Gary mean, Haywood Workman. Um, I, there's probably one that you know Scotty Johnson's probably screaming at his radio right now. Like I was trying to think, there's got to be an, a more obvious one, right? We're talking about the NBA Pacers, yeah. Right? 
undrafted free agents of your own team. You know, I guess in a way, Caleb Barton's not necessarily an undrafted free agent of the Heat. He came from another team. But I don't even remember other teams' undrafted free agents you know, coming here and saying, game two of the Eastern I mean, Conference the, Finals, their, their top three scores were undrafted free agents. Imagine the Pacers doing that in a regular season game. Yeah, I'm not going off the ABA days where... Like Roger Brown was undrafted because he was ineligible for the draft, and then he was working in Dayton, and they they reached out to him because he was involved in a scandal. So, of the NBA Pacers, right? Of the once the draft became really kind of the thing, is basically what you're asking, right? And I, again, no one really comes to mind. Something to think about. Uh, Connor Daly going to join us here in five minutes. Uh, before that, let's hit a morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Despite the Miami Heat winning games one and two in Boston, those in Vegas are not believers that the Heat will get it done for a third time or really keep it that close. Eight and a half point favorite. Boston Celtics tonight in Miami. So clearly they are believers that Miami. Uh, in Boston, both in different ways, kind of water has found its level from a shooting standpoint. Uh, so the Celtics, big favorites tonight in game, or excuse me, Miami. Start over there. Celtics, big favorites as they look to keep their season alive and force a game Put six. Put your damn act together. Would definitely be a pressure-swinging game. Yes. Miami's going to start to feel that heat, pardon the pun, if they do not win tonight. But will not be easy, certainly. I feel like I've had a few little kings. <laughs> No, 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 with, that, with that with that gibberish there. Mark, did you did you show Nathaniel where the swoosh button is? Yes. There we go. Uh, Reds over the Cardinals yesterday, 10-3, Major League Baseball. It was Cubs over the Mets, 4-2. Diamondbacks beaten by Philly, 6-5. Cute fella, 9-6 over the Yankees. Indianapolis Indians, 12-9 winners over the Columbus Clippers. By the way, Scotty puts these on the sheet every day, so I feel compelled every once in a while to mention it. The Dayton Dragons, 4-1 over the South Bend Cubs yesterday. Um, Brendan King was upset about that until he realized that his diehard team, the Florida Panthers, which he's been a fan for four weeks, went 4 nothing over the Carolina Panthers, uh, or the Carolina Hurricanes, excuse me, and the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, 5-3 over the Lansing Lugnuts. When the Reds beat the Cardinals, I get happy. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Does Brendan owe you money or something? You've been hammering him for the last like two Diehard Florida Panthers fan, Brendan King. Since 2011. We'll see if Vegas gets the sweep tonight as they take on Br- Brendan is always stars. so happy that it makes me wonder what he's up to. That's the easiest way to Genuine say Genuine happiness from Brendan King. Tyrese Halliburton, the pace car driver, coming up today. Jake, it will be a brief session for Graham Ray like and It Catherine worries Lake. me that something's going on there. You know what I mean? I've never had that feeling with Brendan King. Uh, Catherine Legg, Graham Rahal, 15 minutes on track. Yeah, they get 15 minutes to, quote-unquote, just do a shakedown of the car. Go out, essentially install laps. So when you see the cars go out and they stay on the pit road lane the entire way, they blend onto the track for the backstretch, they go right back onto the pit entry road, they're allowed to do that for 15 minutes. It is simply a once-over to make sure that um, it appears as though everything is working okay. The fluids are going where they need to go. The lights work. The buttons work. The turn signal's not left on, etc. And then tomorrow, 11 to 1, they're able to get the car up to speed. 
Uh, I'll be up at Colts uh, OTA practice today, their first open session of the year to the media. So that is Anthony Richardson's first time practicing with veterans in front of the media. So looking forward to seeing that here. Coming up this afternoon, we'll chat a little bit about that tomorrow around, obviously, tons and tons of Carb Day coverage. We'll be out there at Carb Day 7 to 10, local shows all day long for us. A man that will be busy tomorrow on track. He's starting in the inside of, is it row six for Connor Daly? I think that's right, right next to Joseph Newgarden. Uh, Connor Daly. Find his name on the sheet here, and I'll tell you, inside of row six, yes. Inside of row six, Connor Daly joins us next, the Noblesville native.